This morning we're going to look at an introduction to 2 Peter. Our passage is 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through to 4. If you cast your mind back a few months, or easier still, flip back a few pages to Peter's first epistle, you'll see that in chapter 1 and verse 1, he addressed Christians who lived in various geographical locations in Asia. Whereas in his second epistle, geography doesn't come into it. Peter simply addresses people who have obtained like precious faith. Either way, by virtue of the fact that both letters are recorded in the Bible, we look to God to speak into our hearts and minds as we read and study them, as we do for all the other books of the Bible. We'll read verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Looking at chapter 1 and verse 1, you'll see that as well as introducing himself by the name Peter, the Apostle calls himself Simon, or more precisely, Simeon, when you look at the original Greek. His name was Simon. However, Simeon is distinctly Jewish. For example, one of the twelve tribes of Israel was Simeon. As for Peter, that comes from the Greek Petros, which means stone, and it is the name given to the Apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it would seem that by introducing himself as Simeon Petros, the Apostle was making it clear that his epistle is for the benefit of all who have obtained like precious faith, whether they be Christians from a Jewish background or from a Gentile one. Like the Apostle Paul, Simon Peter describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, where servant means slave or bondman, and it comes from the Greek word doulos. What can be said about the Apostles can equally be said about all of you Christians. You are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price, a very a very costly price at that, for the Son of God had purchased you with his own blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore, don't be tempted to play down the fact that you are a slave of his majesty, King Jesus. The alternative is to be a slave of sin and of Satan, Besides which, to be a slave of the King of Glory is a very high calling indeed, and there is no higher calling. Rejoice as you embrace the truth that by the grace of God you are yoked to and in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross. Peter refers to the faith of his readers. It is a faith that has been obtained. But don't imagine that it has been obtained from God as some kind of reward from him or because you decided to obtain it. Far from it. The word obtained 
has reference to being obtained by lot. In other words, if you're a Christian, your faith has been allotted to you by the grace of God. In other words, it is not something that you have earned. It is a God-given faith. Your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for everlasting life comes to you entirely by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of works. It is the gift of God. Also, there are no super Christians who have a superior faith than everyone else. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ with a God-given faith, that faith is every bit as precious as the faith of the apostles, and that stands to reason when you consider that you were purchased with the same precious blood. Last of all, in verse 1, Peter says, Through the righteousness of God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. All of you who have a God-given faith in the Lord Jesus Christ also have a God-given righteousness. In other words, God has declared you to be righteous and you are therefore justified by faith. If I have been clear about this, what you should be understanding from me is that you, as a Christian, are what you are by the grace of God from start to finish. Your faith is of God. Your righteousness or your right standing before God is of God and your Christian bond service is of God. Dear Christian, when all of those glorious truths are understood and engraved in your heart and your mind, you will dismiss any notion that you can ever lose your salvation. The very idea is preposterous. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You can take that as a cast-iron guarantee from the Son of God who loved you, and who gave himself for you, that he will finish the work that he has started in you, and he will most certainly keep you from falling, and he will present you faultless before the presence of his glory on that final day when he comes again in judgment. In the King James Version, the first verse finishes with the words, the righteousness of God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. Apparently, the Greek construction is such that God and Saviour are both predicates of Jesus Christ. What that means is that Jesus Christ is both God and Saviour. That comes across much more clearly in most, if not all, the other Bible versions. Similarly, in one of my favourite Bible verses, Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, it is written, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. That verse speaks of the day when Jesus shall come again and every eye shall see him. Again, God and Saviour are both predicates of Jesus Christ. He is both. The name Jesus really says it all anyway. 
Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And any faith that is not in the Jesus who is the incarnate Son of God is most certainly not a God-given faith and it is worthless. Such a belief has its seed in the imaginations of the thoughts of evil hearts where Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, most certainly does not live. I don't know about you, dear Christian, but for me, the most amazing thing about the Christian faith is that God was manifest in the flesh and that God, the incarnate Son of God, carried my sins away in his body on the tree. As the hymn writer said, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Anything less than Jesus Christ being both God and Saviour is to be rejected. Well, have a look at verses 2 and 3 now. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. In verse 1, it was seen that faith and righteousness are connected. You can't have a genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, without having the righteousness of God. Now, in verse 2, we can see that grace and peace are connected with knowledge. As such, the way for grace and peace to be multiplied is through an increase in knowledge. I don't know about you, but I've had various relations, such as uncles and aunties, whom I have known about from my mother and my father. Perhaps I've also seen pictures of them, but I've never actually known them. Likewise, you can know about Jesus from other people and from the scriptures without actually knowing him. And there are many millions of people in the world who fit into that category. The Apostle Paul used to be such a person. As a religious Jew called Saul, he knew about Jesus as he persecuted and wasted the church. Then, in God's perfect time, Jesus visited Saul on the road to Damascus and Saul obtained like precious faith. You can be sure that he knew the Lord from that time on. Knowing Jesus was so important to Paul that about 30 years after becoming a Christian, he recounted his Damascus Road conversion and the ensuing loss that he suffered in the world when in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Therefore, Christians are people who don't just know about Jesus intellectually, they know him with a heart knowledge and they are the recipients of the grace of God and his peace which passes all understanding. And that grace and peace are multiplied as Christians grow in knowledge of their great God and Saviour, 
Jesus Christ. The consequences for those who know not the Lord Jesus Christ are extremely dire indeed. For example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through to 9, the Apostle Paul, speaking to Christians about when Jesus shall return in judgment, said, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? It's those who know not God, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Can you see the importance of knowing Jesus? Little wonder that Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17 and verse 3, said to his Father, And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Is the grace and peace of God being multiplied upon you? In other words, do you know God as your loving Heavenly Father? And do you know his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Saviour from sin and your Lord? The grace and peace being multiplied to you through knowledge that is spoken of in verse 2 is further described as all things that pertain unto life and godliness in verse 3. As was seen in verse 2, the riches of God's grace are freely given through knowledge. The word given in verse 3 is only found three times in the New Testament. And it means much more than simply given, even if whatever is given is very nice. The word actually means bestowed. You might give someone a nice cup of tea, or you might give something far more grand, like a car or a house. However, the Lord Jesus Christ has freely bestowed to all his redeemed everything that they need for life and godliness. In order to understand what the expression life and godliness actually means, it might help if you consider what the opposite is. It's right there in verse 4. The corruption that is in the world through lust. Life and godliness are freely bestowed upon hell-deserving sinners and they are delivered from the corruption that is in the world through lust. That deliverance comes by divine power through knowledge. That means through the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. If your knowledge of Jesus is such that you truly believe that he loved you and that he gave himself for you and you can testify that you, having been crucified with Christ, now live in newness of life in your great God and Saviour, then God has bestowed upon you all things that pertain unto everlasting life and godliness. Well, have a look at verse 4 now. 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We see in verse 4 that the most wonderful promises are graciously bestowed to all whom God calls by his glory and virtue. In other words, through his glorious attributes and the energetic working of those attributes. More will be said about the promises of God in the third and final chapter. But for now, suffice to say that those who are called and who know Jesus as their God and Saviour have the promise of being with him in the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. God the Holy Spirit by whom Christians are sealed, is the earnest and the guarantee of that great promise. And surely it is with that heart knowledge that Christians really can experience and enjoy a peace that is multiplied, even in this present world of sin and misery. As for what happens in the period of time between obtaining like precious faith in other words, becoming a Christian, and going to be with Jesus, well, that is also taken care of by God, who really does bestow all things that pertain unto life and godliness. As you can see, in verse 4, Peter speaks of being partakers of the divine nature. What that does not mean is becoming gods, as Mormons might imagine. However, it does mean taking on a Christ-likeness as God's grace is multiplied to you. What is being said by Peter is in line with many other Bible verses, such as 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, where Paul said, But we all, with open face beholding, as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Also, there's Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, where it is written, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. As we finish, dear Christian, may this be your prayer that you might bring forth more Christian fruit. In other words, that you might become more and more like your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, as you look to God to multiply the grace that and the peace that he bestows upon you and to grant you greater levels of holiness in your walk with Jesus as you grow in the knowledge of him. Amen. <music>